0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We want to continue our study in the prophets uh, today, and so we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. I'm really excited to look at this book once again. This is a book that we actually studied back in 2013, um, I think, and uh, we we went through uh, each verse uh, at that time. So we're going to cover it more as an overview. We posted the sermons this week. Hopefully you've had a chance to listen to those. If not, I would encourage you to listen to them this upcoming week after I give you kind of that foundation once again for how to understand this book. Um, So we're going to jump right in today. The last couple of weeks, we've obviously been going through the prophets. We looked at Hosea. We answered that question, what is love? We saw that uh, demonstrated through Hosea's uh, relationship with Gomer. It pictures uh, God's unconditional love for us. Then we looked at Joel, who can endure God's wrath. We started talking about that day of the Lord concept, right? We talked about disruptive circumstances and how uh, God brings uh, many, many little days of the Lord in order to get our attention as we look towards this great day of the Lord, right? So we want to respond to those disruptive circumstances. And then we looked at Amos last week. Does God care? Um, And we really got to see God's heart for justice and mercy and righteousness and Um, how Israel was not carrying out those things. They were not imaging God well in those areas. And so we said, as God's image bearers, we're to mirror his character by upholding what is right, that concept of righteousness. We want to do right things, value right things, uphold rightness in our society. And when evil creeps in, we take action against it to make things right once again. And that's what we call justice. Justice. We, we bring things back around to being right, okay? So we correct injustices. We create righteousness. We talked about understanding that God cares greatly about how we treat others, how we see that image again of him being a lion who roars for the abused, for the mistreated. He's not going to tolerate that. We want to listen up when he gives instructions and respond appropriately because he is like that roaring lion. And then we want to image God well by being known for righteousness, justice, and mercy, um, because he reveals himself that way in Amos. He upholds righteousness. He fights for righteousness with justice. Um, his justice does come with mercy, though, which is such a, 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 a wonderful thing to be thankful for. We're going to see today in uh, Jonah how Jonah did not properly understand God's mercy, right? Wasn't properly thankful for it. Um, but God's justice does come with his mercy. Um, and so we talked about as being image bearers of God, we must be committed to righteousness and justice as well. Um, and we'll continue, we'll continue to talk about that in the coming weeks. Today, we're looking at Jonah. Does God only care for Israel? Does God only care for his people? Or is he interested in bringing others into that flock, others into uh, his group of people? And we're going to see the answer as a resounding yes, right? Our summary sentence for today. We are called to communicate God's compassion and mercy to even the worst sinners. Because if they choose to res- to repent in response to his word, they too can experience his forgiveness. Let me say that to you again. We are called to communicate God's compassion and mercy to even the worst sinners. Because if they choose to repent in response to his word, they too can experience his forgiveness, right? So God has called us to image him well, to communicate his compassion and his mercy to other people, um, even the worst people, right? Even the people that we would judge to be some of the, the worst people in society, they can be recipients of God's compassion and mercy as well. And sometimes in our flaw of thinking, our flaw of judgment, uh, and this is where we have to be careful that we don't become so passionate for justice that we lose sight of God's compassion and mercy, right? Because that's what happens to Jonah. Because even the worst sinners if they will repent in response to God's word, they can experience his forgiveness. And we're going to see that that's what happens in Nineveh. Um, what we see in this book is that God is not just for us, but he's for them too. Uh, we don't want to become so narrow-minded in our thinking that it's just about us as God's people and lose sight of the fact that God wants to increase who is classified as his people, right? It's not just Israel of the Old Testament. It's not just our our current Church membership, God's interested in going and getting more people to add into that fold. This book, uh, Jonah, answers whether God cares about more than just Israel. The answer is yes. Uh, it's interesting to note that in Acts chapter 10 and 11, when you have Peter uh, and Cornelius and the whole vision and, and conversation about the Gentiles coming into uh, the church, coming into the gospel, Peter is in the exact location. The, the, the Joppa area as Jonah is in this passage. So we see Jonah running away uh, from his obligations to share the gospel with the people of Nineveh, whereas in Acts 10 and 11, Peter runs to the Gentiles. Peter responds to God's command and he shares the gospel with Cornelius and his family and they get saved. And so um, God is certainly interested in saving the Gentiles. Jonah hopes uh, and this is what's so crazy about this book because you don't always get this in the Sunday school version. But this book ultimately is about Jonah hoping that God will not be faithful in his compassion towards others. Let me say that again. Jonah hopes that God will not be merciful and compassion to the people of Nineveh. Right? Sometimes in Sunday school we pitch this lesson as though Jonah was scared to go to Nineveh just like we're scared sometimes to share the gospel, and so he ran away from his obligations to be a missionary. Um, that's not what's happening. Uh, Jonah's not scared to go to Nineveh. Um, the only thing that he's scared about is that if he goes to Nineveh, that God will forgive the people of Nineveh, and he hates these people. That That's what's so crazy about this book is that Jonah's not scared to go share the gospel to the people of Nineveh, except for the fact that he is scared that God will actually forgive these people. Let's skip ahead. If you've got your Bibles, Jonah, uh, let's go all the way to chapter 4 because this is where we get insight into what's happening in this book, right? Jonah has already gone to Nineveh after he's been swallowed by the fish. <clears throat> he's kind of shared God's judgment. It's a really poor presentation of the gospel. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but the people respond. that they, they, they repent. They They get right with God, and God relents from punishing them. And it says in chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. In chapter 1, it talks about God being angry towards Nineveh and their sin. Chapter 4, it's talking about Jonah being angry towards God and God's actions. And verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Listen, he was being said there. Jonah says, I know who you are, God. You are a God. And we've seen this in the prophets already, like God being described in this way, right? He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger, right? He, he lets our sin ripen, giving us a chance to, to repent before he brings judgment. Slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He relents from disaster, right? He's that type of God. He doesn't, he doesn't have to bring justice on us. He can bring justice on his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be spared. Jonah says, I know you. I know this God, and I, and I don't like it. I, I, I really hate the Ninevites so much. I, I hate that you're this type of God, and so I ran from you. And, and now that I've been drugged basically to Nineveh because you let a fish swallow me, and I really have no other choice but to come and share the gospel here, uh, I, I'm, I'm sitting here outside the city ready for you to judge them, and I realize that you're not going to, and I hate you for that. I hate you for that, God. And he basically says, kill me. Kill me. I don't want to live in, in a... In a, or I don't want to live on an Earth. I don't. I don't want to be in existence in a in a reality where you show this type of compassion to people that I don't like. It's unbelievable to see Jonah's hatred uh, towards other people who aren't like him. Right? These people aren't from Israel. They 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 don't they don't they don't talk like him. They don't walk like him. They don't act like him. Uh, and he does not like them and does not want God's compassion shown to them. Um, he hopes that God won't be faithful, and yet God does show his faithfulness, and that makes Jonah angry. Uh, the story is real similar to the unforgiving servant that Jesus talks about, right? This, this servant in his parable who, who has this great debt forgiven, and then he turns around, and somebody owes him money, and he's not willing to forgive him, right? It's real similar to the prodigal son story, right? Where the, the father loses his son, one son stays home and kind of does the right thing, the other son runs off, and then when he comes back, What is the father ready to do? He's ready to forgive him. He's ready to welcome him back. And and the story talks about how the other son is angry. He's angry towards the father for doing this. And it pictures Israel's response to God showing compassion and love to the Gentiles. Uh, It makes them angry. And Jonah kind of is the Old Testament example of this. We see uh, some of these themes we've been talking about previously. God's sovereignty. He's in control of this whole story the whole time right? He controls the storm that wrecks Jonah's escape plan. He's in control of the fish who swallows Jonah. He's in control of the the hearts of the people in Nineveh because he turns them to him in repentance, right? And then he's in control of the plant that springs up and gives shelter to Jonah in chapter 4, and then he's also in control of killing that plant to use it as a teaching tool in Jonah's heart as well. We see God's holiness. He won't tolerate sin, um, he's angry, and he is. He's he's going to relent from this, but he is angry towards Nineveh. Look in John, uh, Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me." God says, "I'm not going to I'm not going to tolerate their evil anymore." Um, he's holy, but we see his love in this book too, right? He communicates judgment, this coming judgment to Nineveh, and then he's willing to relent if the people of Nineveh respond, and they do. Uh, But these people are wicked. Uh, They're violent people, is is what they say about themselves. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 8, when this word of judgment comes to them, this is how they respond. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. All right? They, 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 they talk about their wickedness. They are violent people, right? And we'll talk more about what that means here uh, in just a few minutes. Um, all right. Introduction. Let's jump in to that part and then we'll get right into the outline. Uh, the account takes place during the time of Jeroboam II ruling in Israel. Uh, that's kind of been a running theme too for the, some of these other prophets we've looked at. Remember, Israel is prospering during this time, but here's the catch. They are prospering and yet they are very sinful, right? We've seen their sin and God's uh, pronouncement of judgment upon Israel, and yet God is allowing them to prosper. Note that Jonah doesn't seem concerned about that, right? Jonah's not concerned about his own people experiencing God's mercy and compassion and being able to profit, right? Prosper. Their borders are are as... as um, far-reaching as they ever have been, despite their unfaithfulness, despite their sin, Jonah's not crying out to God for his wrath and justice upon Israel for their sin, right? He's very much content to enjoy God's compassion and mercy. Nineveh is specifically a part of Assyria, that Assyrian empire. They are a major enemy of Israel, and this is why Jonah has such disdain for them. They uh, They are the enemies of Israel, and he hates them for that. Um, the book's different from some of the other prophets that we've looked at because it's more narrative than prophecy. The only prophecy in the book is Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. Like, that's his entire message. He basically shows up at this city and says, In 40 days, you're done. In 40 days, God's going to judge you. Right? The rest of it's narrative, so it's different than some of the other prophets we've looked at already. It's different, too, in that the prophet in this book is viewed negatively. Jonah's viewed negatively, whereas at the other prophets we've looked at, they've kind of been painted in a positive light. In this book, the sinning nation is pictured in a positive light, right? They're the ones who repent and get right with God. Um, the story and the purpose of Jonah's mission is set in motion by that verse we read in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's God's tolerance for their sin has expired. And so God sets in motion the story of Jonah going to warn them. Uh, the book ends really weird, though it ends suddenly because it, Jonah and God are in the middle of a conversation and it just stops. Um, God asks a question to Jonah, and there's no there's no answer. Um, it's it's a it's as though a portion of the book was lost, but it's not. Um, it's a it's a tool that the author uses, most likely Jonah. Um, the implication of the book ending so suddenly is that we're to see ourselves in the story, and we're to kind of finish it. By our response, right? So it's as though God is asking us the question and the answer is not given in the passage because God's asking us to answer that question. So we'll see that uh, at the end of our sermon as well. Um, Jesus uses this passage um, for a level of accountability in the New Testament about the resurrection. Uh, He even talks about uh, the people of Nineveh and their response um, and how The people at that time are going to be held accountable because they did not respond to Jesus and his resurrection. So he talks about Nineveh responding to a man who spent three days in the belly of a fish. The Israelites should have responded to a man, Jesus, spending three days in the earth. And Nineveh's example will hold uh, Israel accountable, right? So Jesus uses this kind of a breakdown of the book. Chapter one, Jonah runs out to sea trying to get away from God. He's running from God. Chapter two. Uh, He's in the belly of a fish, praying to God, running to God, crying out to God. Chapter 3, he's in the city of Nineveh. He's kind of coming alongside God, running with him in his mission. Chapter 4, he's on the outskirts of the city, um, and he's running ahead of God because he wants God to judge, and God's kind of slow playing it and saying, we're going to see what Nineveh does here um, before we decide whether we're going to judge them or not. Right? Okay, so let's jump into uh, the outline, give you some points of application and uh, then we'll be done this morning. All right, number one, share the gospel that you embrace. Share the gospel that you embrace. And that's really the idea of this book. Jonah is a recipient of God's grace, right? He's part of God's people in Israel. He enjoys the benefits and the blessings of a relationship with God. He has experienced compassion and mercy of God prior to this story. Uh, We said that he's living in Israel where Israel is prospering despite their sin. Uh, We assume that Jonah has some type of relationship with God for him to be called into this prophetic ministry to go and warn Nineveh. Um, He experiences God's compassion and mercy in the story, right? Think about it. He runs from God, rebels against God, and yet God uh, could have killed him for it. But instead, he sends a storm, puts him in the belly of a fish, allows Jonah to live through that, gives Jonah a second chance to go to Nineveh right? He is, he is certainly enjoying the, the fruit of the gospel. He is enjoying God's compassion and mercy. Um, and yet he's, he's not willing to share that with others, right? So we have to be careful that we don't embrace the gospel and, and believe that, man, we are so thankful that God is compassionate towards us and then view other people as though they too can't be recipients of that grace, right? Share the gospel you embrace, Um, Number one, Jonah believes that God is merciful, but he isn't merciful himself, right? We see in chapter four, Jonah wholeheartedly believes that God is slow to anger. He's a God of grace, a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God who will relent from judgment. But Jonah doesn't want to be that type of person himself. Jonah's a bad image bearer of God. Jonah wants to hold on to the justice piece, but not couple it with the compassion and mercy that we see in God, right? He wants the justice of God, but not the love of God, unless we're talking about Jonah. Finney <clears throat> wants all kinds of love from God, not God's justice, he wants God's love. But when it's applied to others, he wants God's justice. And we have to be careful that we don't become those type of people as well that believe God's justice should be served on others, particularly our enemies, particularly those who harm us and, and do things towards us. Yeah, God, get them, bring justice upon them, but not me right? Give me compassion and mercy. We need to see others through the lens of God's compassion and mercy as well, right? Jonah believes that God's merciful, but isn't merciful himself. Number two, Jonah believes he can run from God's plans. And this is this is completely foolish, right? Um, but Jonah wants to run from God's sovereignty. He tries to sell to Tarshish, it says, um, it says in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. It's significant, that, that city of Tarshish, because it's basically as far away as he can get by boat from Nineveh. Like, it's a declaration to God that not only am I not going to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go as far away from Nineveh as I can get. Um, we, we need to be careful that we don't become that type of person. Um, that we don't run from the opportunity to share the gospel with people that we deem unworthy of it, um, and because of our sin, we don't we don't value the image of God in others as well as we should. And if we're not careful, we can let prejudices and biases and um, hurt feelings and and uh, harmed memories affect the way that we view other people, um, and we can potentially believe that. Some people only deserve God's justice, right? If we're not careful, we can view the crimes and the sins of others as uh, the only result that can that can possibly be is God's justice upon that individual. And I, and I can be guilty of that too, um, man. Like there's times when I read in the article, you know, read articles in the newspaper about individuals who um, abuse others, particularly particularly children, right? And and there's there's a part of me that reads that and just thinks like. Like, like, this individual is the lowest of the low. Like, you can hardly even call them human because they're treating other humans this way. Like, God has to bring justice on this individual. Um, and, and there's probably a, a, a dark part of me that would, would almost um, cringe at the idea of God forgiving them. Right? That, that, that part of me would judge their sin so harshly and say... Uh, if God forgives that, that's wrong, right? That, that that God has to be just here. And that's where we miss the fact that God doesn't stop being just in order to be merciful and gracious, right? Because Exodus 34 says that he is these things, right? He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. Uh, he's merciful. He's gracious, but he doesn't clear the guilty, meaning like he doesn't just let the guilty go free without some type of payment. So, when we, when we think about God forgiving and saving uh, a, a child abuser, right? A murderer, uh, a thief. Um, it's not that God is just wiping their sin away and there's no justice. We lose sight of the fact that justice is served on the cross, right? The same place where our sin experiences, it's justice, right? Because we're so quick to think that God can clear our sin but we're sometimes hesitant to think that he can clear the sins of others. Um, the fact is, is that he doesn't wipe away any sin without bringing justice to it, and he brings it on the cross with Jesus. We need to share the gospel that we embrace. Number two, we need to rejoice that God sends storms to alert us. Right? Jonah gets on this boat. He thinks he's he's scot free. He thinks he's leaving and fleeing God but it says in verse 4 but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so the ship threatened to break up right God sends this storm and it's a <clears throat> it's God's loving intervention towards one of his own right the storm number 1 is God's loving intervention towards one of his own this is God saying, you know what? I'm going to bring discipline upon one of my my children. I'm not going to let you run. I'm not going to let you dive into sin and get away with it. I'm going to bring I'm going to bring you back to me. And He uses the storm to get Jonah's attention. Jonah's complacent about the Ninevites; he doesn't want to see them saved, but he's also really complacent about the people that he's on the boat with, right? These are these are uh, non-Jewish people as well. He's complacent towards these mariners, these sailors. Uh, he doesn't care if they perish. He would rather die than obey because as the storm sets in, these mariners start having conversations with Jonah like, hey, what's going on? Do you know anything? Who's your God? Cry out to him. And Jonah's like, um, yeah, I'm running from my God and I don't really care. And I don't really care if you guys perish, right? He's so complacent towards others. He just wants God to serve him and, and to, to be merciful to him, but not towards other people. Um, so God intervenes. He's, he's lovingly intervening in Jonah's life by bringing the storm, but he's also, uh, intervening for these mariners, these sailors, these people that don't know him. This is an act of grace by God too, because this is going to lead towards these mariners, these sailors coming to know God, because when this ship sets sail, they don't know this God. But when they confront Jonah, look what he says. In verse 9, he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I, I serve the God who made this sea that's that's acting crazy right now, and I also serve the God who made the land, the land that we wish we were all on right now, out of this storm. It says in verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They think he's crazy for trying to run from this God, right? Right? The fact is, though, at every everybody on board this ship is running from God. The mariners aren't innocent, right? They're 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 sinners, right? If they had died in this storm, God would have been very just and right to to judge their sin. But God's merciful in this in this story uh, as well. God helps them to see that He is the God of the land and the sea. This description that Jonah gives about God, um, really, you read this chapter uh, chapter one here, and and they do a better job of fearing God than Jonah does, right? Because when they find this out, they get really fearful. <clears throat> then Jonah tells them, hey, if you want to get rid of this storm, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Um, but the, the men aren't okay with that. Um, it says, nevertheless, the men rode hard, verse 13, to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temp- tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Right? Right? Like their last resort is to throw Jonah into the water. They do a better job of seeing the the value of a human life. They do a better job of seeing that than Jonah does. And these are unbelievers. These are people who wouldn't have had a concept of uh, Jonah being an image bearer of God, right? But there's something that God creates inside of every human being, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you read the Bible or not, every human being has this level of knowledge about the value of other human beings. We're seeing that in our society right now, right? Like unbelievers are crying out and saying it is not okay for other human beings to be treated this way because of their skin color, because of their background. It's not okay. And they're not using scripture verses to back that up, right? They're just using this law that's written on the hearts of every human being that says other human beings have value and they shouldn't be treated this way, right? These mariners get that, and they, they value Jonah. They don't want to throw him overboard. They fear God's justice, right? They, they, they try to get Jonah just back to shore. They try to row, but God won't let him row back to shore. But they fear God's justice. They cry out to God and say, don't hold us accountable for taking a human life, right? God is just, and they fear that justice. Even in Jonah's disobedience, though, what, what's awesome here is that the gospel can still impact people. God can even use our disobedience to bring people to him because Jonah's being absolutely disobedient here. But yet, when they finally throw him over, the storm stops. In verse 16, the, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men start worshiping the God of Jonah in response to God stopping the storm. Right, The gospel reaches these guys' lives. Reaches their hearts, impacts them to where they turn their attention to God. Okay? Uh, But we're going to pick back up in chapter two with Jonah, and we see him in the belly of the fish, and the whole chapter is him praying to God. So uh, we said, share the gospel you embrace, rejoice that God sends storms to alert us. Number three, make sure your prayers to God are genuine, right? So you can read through chapter two on your own, uh, but Jonah starts to cry out to God, and, and there's some good things about his prayer. Number one, Uh, his theology in his prayer is biblical, right? He acknowledges God's sovereignty, that God's the one who put him into the sea. He acknowledges God's deliverance, that God's the one who saved him from the sea by letting this fish swallow him. The problem, though, with the prayer is, number two, Jonah lacks repentance and demonstrates very little change after praying. Um, He's still stuck in this state where he believes that he deserves God's mercy but not others. Um, And so he prays a great prayer, uh, he just doesn't mean some of it. And he, and he doesn't include some things that should have been included, like repentance and a, a level of response to what God just did in his life. He acknowledges what God's doing, but, but it doesn't change him. And, and the way we know that is because as soon as he leaves the belly of the fish, he reverts back to his old, old ways. Yes, he obeys. He doesn't run from God in the sense that he goes to Nineveh, but he refuses to live out the love of God in the way that he treats the people once he gets to the city. Okay. So uh, number three, make sure your prayers to God are genuine. Um, make sure that when we're praying and connecting with God, that we're allowing him to change our hearts and that our hearts are are hum- humble in the ways that we respond to him. All right. So number four, respond humbly when confronted with sin. Respond humbly when when confronted with sin, Jonah certainly doesn't. His sin has been confronted. He knows that he's in sin. He tells the sailors that he's in sin by running from God. Um, and yet he, he still doesn't change his ways, right? He's going to go to the city. It says, um, verse 3, then the word of the Lord, chapter 3, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Right? So he goes, but all he says is, verse 4, in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. There's, there's nothing in his message about God's grace and mercy. And, and it's not because Jonah doesn't know about it, right? Because in chapter 4 he says, Lord, I know you're merciful and gracious, um, compassionate, slow to anger, willing to relent from disaster. But he doesn't tell the Ninevites that. He just says, hey, I'm here to tell you in 40 days uh, you're going to be overthrown. Um, Number one, Jonah gives a terrible gospel presentation. Uh, There's no hope offered to these people. Um, But what it does remind us is that the power of the gospel lies in the message of the gospel, not the presentation. When I taught on this back in 2013, I I tried to encourage you as members of Sovereign Hope, we can step out even in our inexperienced uh, lack of knowledge, uh, share the gospel with others, and God can use a poor presentation of the gospel, as long as it's truthful, right? Not a not a distorted gospel, not a false gospel. But when we try to share the gospel, we share it truthfully. It may not be the best presentation. It may be, um, you know, uh, we're, our, our words are twisted. We're, we're, we're confusing. We're, we're not clear. But God can use a poor presentation. And the reason I know that is because God uses a really bad presentation here where Only half the gospel is shared, right? That God's judgment is coming upon sin. But there's no hope of forgiveness offered. And yet God informs these people, helps them to see that maybe it's possible, even though Jonah hasn't shared that with them, maybe it's possible that God will relent of this. Because look what it says in verse 5 of chapter 3. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, satin ashes. He issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. So Jonah gives a terrible presentation. No hope offered. Um, Think about it. He had just experienced God's grace for his own sin, right? God had relented towards Jonah by bringing the fish to spare him from drowning at sea. Then he spares him from the belly of the fish and allows him to be puked up from the ocean, from the belly of the fish to the sand, to the seashore, right? And he doesn't even share that story, right? Like he doesn't show up and say, Nineveh, God's going to judge your sin, but he's also slow to anger. He's compassionate, gracious. In fact, He just showed me compassion and grace because I was sinful and and he he relented, right? So if you guys will repent too, he'll probably do the same thing for you. He leaves that completely out of his message. He's happy to receive mercy, but he's not willing to extend it. Number two, the people don't get defensive. They get sorrowful. Note the the humble response to these people because the typical reaction from the human mind is to get defensive when confronted with sin. And yet they get repentful. Is that a word? Uh, They get repentful. Right, that they they don't get defensive, they get sorrowful about it. How how do they know to get sorrowful? Well, I'm sure in their educated minds they're thinking, well, why wouldn't God just kill us right now? Why do we have 40 days until this judgment comes? Maybe there's something we're supposed to do within these 40 days that that would stop it. Right. So I think they lean on that message, and um, there's this law, like I said, that was written that's written on every human heart that they get convicted about. Right. Jonah doesn't even tell them what they've done that's sinful. He just says, in 40 days, you're going you're to be toast. And so the people start sitting around going, why would we be toast? Like, what have we done wrong? And God starts using the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin, not, not through his word, right? They're not exposed to the word. They're exposed to the law written on their hearts. And so they say, what have we done this wrong? Well, well, there's some wickedness amongst us. There's, there's violence amongst us. Think about that, what that implies. The violence means that they are not treating each other with the value that each other deserves, right? They're not, they're not valuing the image of God in each other. Now again, they probably have no concept of what it means to be born in the image of God, but that law is written on their hearts where they say, you know what? We've been mistreating people. We've been violent towards each other and that needs to stop because it's not okay. We've been tolerating it. We've been allowing it and they want to see it fixed now. They want to see their ways changed. They want to repent and change. Look at what they do here. They don't cry out to their gods. They don't wait to see what happens in 40 days to see if this message is true or not true. They're not like the the people in Noah's time who, who doubt God's judgment because it doesn't come immediately, right? They immediately start turning to God. They don't wait 40 days to do it. They turn immediately to God. They've been unjust. They've been violent. And they want to get that right. I think both God and Jesus seem to treat this repentance as genuine, right? God treats it as genuine because he relents from the judgment. They don't fool God. They don't, they don't trick God. So I believe that the repentance is genuine. And then Jesus even references it in his teachings. Like, be like the people of Nineveh. Repent when you hear a message from a man who spent three days in a fish. Repent when you hear a message from a man who spent three days in the, um, in the earth dead, right? Jesus coming back to, to, to life. Um, What we see here is that Yahweh, God, was everything that Nineveh hoped he would be, right? They don't know. They don't know that he's a compassionate, merciful God, slow to anger, right? They don't know. They're hoping that he is, but they don't know. And he ends up being everything they hoped he would be. He also ends up being everything that Jonah feared he would be, right? Jonah said, I I was afraid you would be this God, and and that's exactly what you were. You're that type of God, right? Because look in verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God is gracious to the people of Nineveh. Um, It's sad that Jonah believed that he knew how to carry out justice better than God, right? Um, And then in chapter 4, he basically tells God to kill him. He'd rather not live in a world where God is merciful to those that Jonah thinks doesn't deserve mercy. Jonah wants to be the standard of justice Jonah wants to be the standard of who should be um, a recipient of God's mercy, not God, right? And we're going to have to hurry because my phone's about to die and I don't have a charger here. So last point, number five, show compassion to the worst image bearers. Show compassion to the worst image bearers, right? Chapter four is all about Jonah pouting, Right? He goes and sits and watches the city from a distance, hoping that God will punish him, and God doesn't. He should be rejoicing over God's mercy, the, the mercy that he knows God to be. Right, He should be rejoicing over the fact that God was merciful towards him, that God was merciful towards the sailors, that God was merciful towards Nineveh, and yet he sits and pouts and basically says, I am angry. I'm angry that you're merciful, God. I'm angry about it. Number one, the worst image bearers still have great value. The way this passage unfl- unfolds is that Nineveh, or Jonah is watching Nineveh. It's hot. He's he's has the weather kind of bearing down on him. God allows this plant to supernaturally grow and provide shade for him. Jonah loves it, loves the plant, right? He should be loving. Nineveh should be loving people, yet he loves the plant so much that when God kills the plant, it makes Jonah even angrier. And that's where... God starts asking these questions to Jonah. You know, are you right to be angry about this? Um, The Lord said, verse 10, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? What God is trying to do here is he's trying to contrast the value of Nineveh with the plant. Jonah thinks the plant should live and Nineveh should die. And God's like, man, you have got your values all out of whack, all out of whack, right? Even the worst image bearers, your worst enemy, Jonah, the people that you hate the most, they can be recipients of my mercy because I'm that type of God. The worst image bearers still have great value. The worst people in our society Going back to that illustration, the the child abusers, the murderers, the thieves, these people that we would say that we would never be involved in their sin, right? Those who are uh, involved in gross sexual sin, right? These are people that still bear the image of God and still have great value, even though there's cries for justice that flow in our heart towards these sins, right? What we can't miss is that God can be merciful and gracious to the homosexual, to the child abuser, to the murderer, he can be gracious towards them because Jesus's sacrifice is sufficient for their sin too. Number 2, the worst image bearers can still enjoy his mercy. The question that God is asking here at the end and there is no answer from Jonah because the the answer is meant to come from us. Will we extend mercy to those that we believe don't deserve it? Are we willing to embrace the gospel and believe the gospel that it's not just for me and my sin, but it's for those others that that are so sinful in my eyes, right? That I would believe something great about the sacrifice of Jesus and believe that His sacrifice is good enough for them too. Jonah doesn't seek refuge in Nineveh, right? He's hot. He could have gone back to Nineveh. He could have. He should have gone back to Nineveh, and he should have been discipling these people who have just relented from their sin and turn to God. And yet he sits out there and complains about a plant that's died. and Now he's stuck in the sun again, right? He values the plant over the people. We have to be careful that we don't love our comfort while failing to love people as well, right? He loves the plant because the plant is good for him. It serves him. And Nineveh is not good for him. It doesn't serve him. And so he doesn't love it. If we're going to be the best image bearers of God that we can be, it involves us loving other people, particularly those that we find to be unlovable. If we're going to image God well, right, if we're going to be not just God like, but godly, we have to love those people that our flesh would say they're not lovable, right? We have to be merciful and compassionate towards those people because that's exactly how God is, right? God was merciful and compassionate to us when we were his enemies. From an application standpoint, Um, The key to Jonah finding compassion for Nineveh, um, and we don't know if he ever did or not. Um, I think that he probably did, and that's why he, I think he probably wrote the book, right? And it would have been hard to write the book about his sin. But the key for Jonah to find compassionate towards Nineveh is for him to realize that he too does not deserve God's mercy, and yet he receives it, right? That's where the gospel wrecks us, because what we have to be reminded of is that we don't deserve his compassion and mercy. And sometimes our flesh thinks that we do, right? The key for us to love the unlovable, the key for us to to extend mercy and grace and compassion to those that are our enemies, it starts with us understanding and believing that we don't deserve the gospel either. And if we don't deserve it and we still receive it, how much more should others who don't deserve it be able to receive it as well? So my question that I'd leave you with is are we willing to pity and show mercy to the unlovable around us. My challenge to you would be to first think about the people in your life that maybe parallel the people of Nineveh and Jonah's life. Who are the people in your life that you uh, don't show compassion and mercy and grace to like you should? Um, Examine your heart and and, and explore why that's the case. Um, Why do you believe that they don't deserve the same level of grace and mercy that you do. Um, is there anybody that you would willfully withhold the gospel from because you want to see God's justice towards them versus God's mercy? Is there anybody in your life, an, an enemy, somebody who you are at odds with that you're almost unwilling to forgive because you believe that God should be just towards them? Um, let this let this prophetic message from Jonah wreck you a little bit. Let it challenge you to examine Are you loving everybody in your life? Are you imaging God well by showing compassion and mercy? Yes, we want to be people of justice, right? We saw that last week. But we don't want to err on the side of being like Jonah and wanting justice so much that we're willing to withhold mercy and compassion towards those who are ready to repent and turn to God. Think about those things as as we get ready to leave today. I'm going to pray for us. God. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the ways that it challenges um, our, our own treatment of others. God, we want to be people of justice. We want to uphold righteousness in our societies. We want to work justice when things go wrong. But God, help us not to, to be only people that are passionate about justice and righteousness where we miss the mercy aspect. Um, God, we want to be merciful towards those just like you've been merciful towards us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.